Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Welcome back, bookends, new and old, to our first book club pick of 2024. We are delighted to share that we are featuring The Knowing, the debut novel by friend of the podcast, Emma Hines. Inspired by real historical characters, this bewitching gothic tale centres on an abused tattoo artist model in 19th century New York and Manchester and her unique and strange gift of summoning the dead. Emma Hines is a queer writer from Manchester. Emma has an MA in creative writing from the University of St Andrews and received mentorship from the late Oliver Emmanuel. In 2021, Emma was the recipient of the Artist Development Grant at Hope Mill Theatre, where her latest play, Pure, was performed as part of Turn On Fest. In 2022, her non-fiction book, Ineffable Love, Exploring Christian Themes in Good Omens, was published by Darton Longman and Todd, and her debut novel, The Knowing, is out on the 18th of Jan and published by Bedford Square. And for the first time ever, we had to have a returning guest, Emma Hines. Welcome to a pair of bookends. Welcome back. It's so good to be back. I'm back. We're back. It's amazing. We're back. I'm really annoyed at myself for not re-listening to the Pride special that you came on for because... I wanted to know what exactly we said about the knowing because we must have touched on the fact Mm. that you were writing something. I don't remember. What I remember most about that episode, aside from like the prize stuff, was that we recorded it on probably the hottest day of the year. Yes. In a a black box of a flat. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was the hottest. All you can hear in the background is the clinking of ice in glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So we all sound like hot. we're on a beach somewhere, you know. Yeah. Drinking we couldn't we couldn't have the fan drinks. on. Billy wouldn't let us have the fan on. on. No, awful. it was bad for the sound. Awful. Okay. Awful, awful. But we are not we are now the opposite of that. We are now freezing. Yeah. We are freezing. Yeah. Yes. We've gone completely to the other end of the spectrum and we're now all absolutely freezing. I'm in a scarf and I have a hot chocolate. That's tea, we're in that territory. Tea, right? Blanket, blanket um, on lap. Yeah. Blanket on lap. But this yeah. is where we're at. So now that we're comfortable and hopefully getting a bit warmer. <laughs> Um, can we pick your brains, Emma, and ask you what you are currently reading? Yes, I am about a third of the way through Boy Parts by Eliza Clark, which Ooh. I am really enjoying, loving it so far. But yeah, only a third of the way through. So uh, stay tuned. I am absolutely <laughs> livid that I did not get to see the adaptation of it at Soho Theatre. I didn't know they'd done adapted. Yeah, I didn't know they'd done adapted. Yeah, the uh, Geordie actor Amy Kelly, I think her name is, performed in it, and Eliza Clark was also part of the adapting side of things, mm. uh, which is always good That's when they're cool. when they're in the adaptation as well, involved in that. And it looked great, and I'm really sad that I didn't. The amount of times I looked and was like, should I just buy a ticket? Can I really just? pay for a train to london no no not not. the the train prices are astronomical at the moment but i am i am using the powers of manifesting that i do not have um hoping that (laughs) (laughs) that the boy parts will be transferred to manchester yes that's all manifest manifest that situation thank you i am gonna put a spanner in the works and i as most of our listeners will know we have not had Lydia for a couple of episodes and I've not got to chat to Lydia about books for a long time aside from several WhatsApp messages but that doesn't count because you didn't hear it (laughs) so Lydia what are you currently reading oh I'm currently reading a book called The Wager by David Graham is this Um, the author of Killers of the Flower Moon it is indeed yeah that sounds Um, good and it's cracking. It's kind of making me feel like I can definitely sail a ship, <laughs> um, which I think is maybe not not completely true. But honestly, I, I mean, I, I do like a bit of nonfiction every now and again, but this is very much historical nonfiction, kind of ah. out of my usual wheelhouse. And it's really good. Like the the people that he's talking about, um, that kind of were involved on the wager that this this incredible ship, 
um, are just such interesting people, such interesting characters that it reads like fiction. So it's really, honestly, if you're not really sure about like going into kind of, you know, historical non-fiction, but you, you're kind of into that kind of stuff, it's definitely worth a read. It's really mm. good. Yeah. How did you hear about this? It's Waterstone's non-fiction book of the month. Huh. I love Hannah's like, how did you hear about this? Because yeah. uh, I've not, I've not heard about not this. Heard it. And it sort of feels like the kind of thing I should have heard about. So... We, we haven't discussed this. Um, I need to know. <laughs> how dare you recommend a book we have not previously discussed? I'm not allowed. I have to know every single book that Lydia has purchased. Yeah. If I see a book on her bookstagram that I do not recognise, I'm like, when did you buy that? You're like a jealous mm-hmm. boyfriend. Uh, Literally. You, who are you when, getting yeah. that for then? When did get, you buy I that? Get text messages, immediately get text messages. Like, I started a vintage account and put one a book up that Hannah was like, um, excuse me, I gave you that book. You better have read it. And I was like, um, hang on. I was like, no, I just got an extra copy. I'm just selling the extra copy. But she was on it within like, I'd literally just pressed post. And she was like, oh my goodness. Bitch, what are you doing? I, I need to know uh, where said book was purchased from. I need to know, yeah. like, you know, is it Waterstones? Is it a charity shop? How much was it? Mm-hmm. Important, important. Okay. I. I am not going to reveal what I am reading at the moment because it's a podcast read. But I will uh, say that um, a book that is on my TBR pile that I want to read this month is Good Material by Dolly Alton, which will come Mm. as a surprise to absolutely Mm. nobody. Um, (laughs) Thank you. So, Emma Hines... I'm having so much fun saying your full name. Um, It's weird. It's weird. It's weird, babes. It's weird. It's dead weird. Well, I'm seeing your name everywhere. It's, you know, exciting. Uh, So usually on our debut spotlight series, which is not what this is, uh, we ask debut authors what their journey has been like into having their debut novel published. And we are very privileged because we've got to see your journey in Mm. much greater detail than we've seen any of the other debut authors we've spoken about but I'm sure our listeners would love to hear what the journey has been like for you how has the journey been like my goodness I say it's like climbing a mountain and uh you keep thinking like if I just get to this point then I'll know that I've done it and then you get to the point and then you look up and there's already like there's so much more mountain to go and you get to another point and then you keep going like that and then eventually you turn around you're like holy crap I climbed a mountain it's been been so many ups and downs like Hannah will know they've seen seen the ups and downs firsthand yeah it's it's a it's a real I would say like to anyone who is like in the process whatever stage you find yourself at is just like focus on the next thing is I would say that is the best way Mm. to do it so if you're in the process where you're like I'm writing my manuscript and I I just don't know why I should keep going and I don't know how I'm going to keep going I would just say like keep going and get to the point where you finished it and then when you finished it like try it for a few competitions try and get out there get some feedback on it you know find somebody you trust who's also uh, writing and, and get some feedback from them get some good feedback and then and then try and do some agents and and see how that goes. And then once you've got an agent, you're kind of in a system which is pushing you forward without without you. Um, it's kind of, it's helping you on the tracks. And that can be really, really a big encouragement. But then I would say if you're in that situation where you've got an agent and, and you're still just waiting for that first bite is just to keep writing. Just keep writing because the knowing was out, you know, around with different publishers and different publishing houses for a while for uh, the better part of a year before it got picked up and I was at the point where I'd started writing other stuff and started to think oh you know what it's probably just going to be one of those where I put it in a drawer and Mm. maybe I my first debut is something that's actually like my second or third book and maybe I come back to it years down the line so yeah it can be a disheartening process but the important thing is just keep focusing on the next thing I guess Mm -hmm. I remember we had conversations when you were getting rejections and I was saying that like oh you know I've read about this debut author and they've said that their debut novel wasn't their debut novel it was their second Mm -hmm. book and you know I was trying to think of like every way to help you keep going um because I could feel like and like you know we get it like we're 
we're actors like we mm. understand the rejections that you face as a creative you've seen firsthand how debilitating that is, can be sometimes mm. um, and, and you know it for yourself but trying like it's so difficult when when you can see somebody so talented and you know how talented they are and you can see that it's starting to really grind them down and you're yeah. like no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know you will make it yeah I think that's something that like like that uh we've been to each other but also like other other people have been to me and other Mm -hmm. people have probably been to the two of you is like community is so important when you're a creative Mm -hmm. like you need people around you who when you've kind of like lost sight of what's what you're doing that they're going to be the people who just kind of go no I I actually believe that you're good because you stop when when you face a lot of rejection you do get to that point where you start going maybe I'm just not good at this you know, at what point can I do, do I have to call myself just a person with a hobby rather than a person doing this? And that's when you like need people in your life who are going to go, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. And I believe that you can, you can kind of get up the mountain basically. And yeah, I think that's, that's really, really valuable for, for anybody who's, who's on the journey. And I'm really lucky because, you know, I have a partner who's great and sat me down in a coffee shop, which was probably like the year before I got my agent, Alice, Alice Saunders. And I was just, I was not, I'd finished, I'd finished my book and I'd been doing competitions for a while and nothing had kind of was taking to the next level. And I knew the next level was to get an agent and I'd been putting it out everywhere and I'd been getting a lot of rejections. And I was sitting there and in this coffee shop and just thinking like, I just don't know if I've still got it in me to keep mm-hmm. going. And he was just like, it's coming, it's coming. You've just got to, you've just got to keep going. And I'm like, well, it's easy for you to say, you don't actually know that it's coming, do you? You don't know, but actually what the pe- what that, what he was offering me in that situation wasn't certainty, it was hope, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what I needed. And that's what you need is people who are, are going to be doing, giving you the hope and stuff. And I'm so lucky now, cause like, I, I started off with like John and Hannah and, and now I have like my agent and um, my publishers and a whole group of people who are around me going like, we believe in you, we believe in you. Um, and that's so, so incredible. But yeah, having those initial people like who you really trust and really, really love to push you on is so valid and so important. And thank goodness that you did continue because we are so, so excited that you've got this this far and oh, that no, it's crazy to share it with everybody although quite selfishly I'm really happy that I got to read it quite early um, <laughs> so I great. know what happened <laughs> I know the ending you guys don't know yet <laughs> Um, but it is such a brilliant book and honestly we I mean Hannah's so proud of you but we we are so proud of you it is just an incredible piece of work it really is thank you you're gonna make me cry I'm like (laughs) like got a cold and everything so like if I I might actually cry like it's possible you know it's a good thing I've got tissues here yeah this is a safe space (laughs) safe space as a kind of caveat to that is caveat is that yes I'm gonna go with that Mm -hmm. that word is that I do slightly feel sorry for anybody that is yet to read your writing in the sense that you are the most savage person I know (laughs) oh my god okay but for context the reason Hannah says this is that I wrote a play in 2018 uh, about a little village in rural Derbyshire that had something very terrible happen. This was pre-COVID. This was the pandemic play. It was about the the plague of like the 1600s. And Hannah had a lovely little character called Leah who falls in love and has a sad, like has, has a sick mother and has this gorgeous little storyline. And then she, Hannah got really mad because I killed her character. <laughs> Not only did my character get the plague, but she was stoned to death in the streets. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. 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 It's like not just dead, but really dead. But really dead. <laughs> um, and that is all you need to know about Emma Hines. <laughs> that I will is make that... you love a character and then yes. I will stone them to death. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is, yeah. So when people are creating these uh, TikToks, and Instagram reels 
saying how savage you are as an author, I will be like, Emma, I told you. Yeah. I told you yeah. this whole time. I believe don't... you. I've, I've you. always believed you, Hannah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Very good. Now, <laughs> can, can we move on to the book yes, now? We can. Oh, can. <laughs> Is that okay, Hannah? Are you all right? Because she, she will talk about it for 90 <laughs> minutes, how she was wrong. At yes. the time and I'm like, if she gets on this rant, <laughs> It's game over. Game over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on while we can. While while um Hannah's taking a breath. So the book is fantastic and we both truly loved it. And it was one of those things where, especially with me, I was terrified I wouldn't like it because <laughs> I was so scared, not of you, Emma, but of Hannah's reaction to if I said to her. <laughs> I'm not really sure this one's for me. Uh, <laughs> I, I, would, I would be the one being stoned to death. Um, but actually, I have had to do no such thing. And it is incredible and unputdownable. So well done. Oh, great word. Love that. <laughs> Let's but, put that on Instagram. Love all that. All right. Don't forget, quote me, quote me. Um, <laughs> the book is set between inner city New York and the rainy streets of Manchester, mm. which are just fantastically described in the 19th century. So there are quite a few similarities between the two places and then there's some quite striking differences. But can you tell us a little bit more about why you chose those two places as the setting for the novel? Yeah, the big reason is because I knew I wanted to write about Victorian freak shows and Victorian sideshow culture. And I knew I wanted to write about it on both sides of the Atlantic. And the biggest reason to kind of go for New York is because of P.T. Barnum and his kind of circus that was there. And because of the culture in New York around sideshows and how important they were there. And then I wanted to, I could have chosen London, but I live in Manchester. I wanted to write about Manchester. I wanted to write about the uh, Industrial Revolution and what that did to the city and and what it was like to live there at that time. So uh, those are the two places that I chose um, because of that. Yeah. Honestly, when you describe Flora, the main character, walking down the streets, especially in Manchester, it's literally like, and you know, I grew up partly in Manchester. The the way you describe it is so well done because mm-hmm. you feel like you you are walking over those cobbles and you are feeling that kind of like slightly grimy, slightly wet walls and all of this. Like everything <laughs> that you describe was just so brilliant. And I think that it's it's really hard to do to capture the the kind of essence of a place because mm-hmm. especially with the fact that it's set so long ago, it could feel quite distant, but it feels so present. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's really difficult to do what kind of research went into that was it just you know you live there so it's easy but (laughs) well part of the fun of living in Manchester is that like because the city was built up in the Victorian era and in the industrial revolution between like the the 1700s and the 1800s like you can walk around the city and be treading in the places that my characters would have walked like the canals are all the same and things like Mm. that so that's really nice to be able to walk through the city and be able to carve through historical pathways and there's so much local history that's available in the city so the Manchester Central Reference Library has like an amazing exhibition on what local Manchester was like during the Industrial Revolution which is really helpful the People's History Museum in Manchester is also exceptional Mm -hmm. with the um the amount of sources and materials that they have and in the central reference library in manchester they have a really good local history collection that features history from local historians and local writers so it's all it's it's a great place to write about and it's a great place to live and it's a great place to write about living a long time ago because they've kept so many of the the resources and the materials so whilst there was yes a lot of research that went into it it wasn't inaccessible research it was Mm. all there available for me to use which was just wonderful Wonderful. Now, looking further into the the settings, I want to speak about the tattoo parlour, which we, we find ourselves in at the very start of the novel. And this tattoo parlour is owned by Jordan, who is Flora's, don't really want to say lover, captor, not a great person, but he owns said tattoo parlour and and i like to call him the problematic victorian boyfriend yes toxic (laughs) toxic victorian boyfriend yes that's that's the one and i know also with flora being 
tattooed from pretty much from head to toe, there is a specific inspiration that you had for Flora. So I wanted to to hear you speak a bit more about what the tattoos and the tattoo parlor kind of represent to you. Well, I was looking, I, I wanted to write about freak shows and I wanted to write about sideshows and that kind of performance element. So when I started to look into old photographs of freak shows, tattooed people are one of the big draws for those shows at those times. So I was looking at a lot of different tattooed people and um, taking inspiration from how how their tattoos were arranged and a lot of historical tattoos. And then I found a picture of Maud Wagner, who um, was a 19th century, one of the first female tattoo artists living in New York City and I just loved this portrait of her she looked so incredible and um, she was kind of like the inspiration for my flora in the sense that she not only was tattooed but she was a tattooist and Maud's journey was not like Flora's journey so Maud had a husband who was also a tattooist so I, I took that element but I didn't take their whole story I don't want people to go away with being like Maud Wagner was abused like I don't know that um that's not something that I'm putting onto history I took the the inspiration of their lives Mm -hmm. and then created fictional characters with it and so I wanted the tattoo parlor to kind of represent this the transience of New York City at the time which was like a huge immigrant population and the painted man is a space for working class people or people on the like the lower end of the societal spectrum who are either homeless or struggling. There's a lot of transient sailors coming through and coming out. And that's the world in which Flora finds herself. But it's also a world which is like completely run by men. Her world where she's growing up is very masculine and dominated in that way. And it's not just Jordan who's dominating. It's it's the culture is very deeply masculine and very deeply sort of patriarchal. And then so when she meets Minnie, there's this big kind of change, you know, mm-hmm. this different mm. kind of feminist and feminine energy. Minnie is a fantastic character, but I don't want to go straight into her because there is so much to be said about Minnie. I have yeah. so many, so many feelings about Minnie. But I wanted to ask about tattoo parlors because obviously Lydia's already asked you about like your research process but how different were tattoo parlors like back then how different was that Uh, it wasn't I I mean not as different as you would expect I think is the is the key thing so uh actually at the kind of the end of the 1800s sort of the electrical tattoo machine was coming in which is very similar to what we have today in terms of the mode of tattooing the style very much varied in terms of culture so if you looked at like Japanese tattooing at that time it would obviously reflect that culture or Maori tattoos it would reflect that culture where my characters are it's very what we would call traditional American tattooing which is very uh, based in symbology so you know they have anchors and and swallows and roses and all of these sort of things that we might represent today and think of them as classic tattoos they they were very much what was in vogue at the time when my characters were sort of living and and getting tattoos the big difference I would think is that in those now obviously tattoos are gender free and, and like gender queer spaces anybody can come in and anybody can get tattoos whereas at that time in history it was very much uh, a masculine or, or, or a male thing and women getting tattoos was way more taboo which is why predominantly in freak shows the people who you would most want to see if you're a Victorian person in a freak show being tattooed was a woman because that's the most taboo body on which to mm-hmm. see loads of tattoos so flora is a bit of an enigma not just because she does tattooing but because she is she's in a female body covered in tattoos which was kind of against the grain of the expectation for society at the time Mm, i was really curious about because obviously back then they didn't have all the kind of sanitary equipment that we do now Mm. so i was really curious about like would that have made a person ill back then having tattooing themselves ever that would have impacted flora in any way i think it's um it's interesting because like sanitation was what it was like we have to think also about the fact that like yes there was like less sanitation Mm -hmm. and more people did die of unsanitary diseases or illnesses or things like that but also people's immune systems were more adjusted to certain things Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and tattooists did try to keep their work clean 
and yeah because that was the for the benefit of them not only for the benefit of of the person being tattooed so but they would just use like alcohol and stuff like that to clean mm-hmm. to clean right. tools and keep tools clean and i think much like today it just very it just depends on like the sanitation of the place i don't think jordan is like a pit- my character jordan is necessarily most concerned about whether or not his uh his clients are walking out with an infection but i think it just i think it just depended really on um on the practices of the location now you touched on earlier about how flora kind of she's in quite a male dominated environment at the beginning and throughout the novel really she is mainly surrounded by men other than than minnie but this is a book as well that doesn't really shy away from the violence that flora faces and that the women in the book face usually by the hands of men and what I found quite fascinating was that it's something that that women will still be able to identify with unfortunately why was this a theme for for you in this book why did you want to explore kind of this violent side of of the world I think there's two reasons the first is whenever I write I write I don't tend to write fantasy what I write is magical realism so Mm. Magical realism relies on creating a convincing historical or contemporary world that we would recognize today or we'd recognize from history and then inserting a magical component or an unreal component Mm -hmm. into the narrative. So for me, it was important to present that world as it was and the historical violence against women at that period in history was as it appears in the book. And honestly, is not much different from certain places in the world today. I think the second reason is that I always write about sexual violence and or sexual assault in one form or another. It's something that a theme that reoccurs pretty consistently in my work. And it's a feminist issue that I feel very strongly about. So it's something that I am always trying to kind of give voice to uh, because it's it's something that makes uh, survivors feel so voiceless. So mm-hmm. it's uh, mm-hmm. for me that's a way of, of reclaiming something for myself and for other people, and giving us uh, a voice and a moment in in narrative fiction where we can feel seen and heard. But also, hopefully, like there's a there's a way of I think it's important that we have a trigger warning at the front of the book. I think mm-hmm. that's important for safe reading and for people keeping people safe like obviously if there's anybody who is a survivor or is somebody who's going through something where they see a similarity like I want them to be able to keep themselves safe in whatever their recovery process looks like but I I know from my own experience that there is healing to be found in the fictional encounters of the things that we have struggled with or the things that we have survived there is like there is growth to be found there and transformation and it's not always linear or neat or pleasant but it, it it is possible. So I hope mm. that there's some of that um, for people when they're reading. It's unpredictable, yes, mm-hmm. but I, I hope it is there. Absolutely. I, I think the difficulty is is with the sensitivity of it, isn't it? it and it's, it's, you know, how much do you include? How much do you not include? How much is overt? How much is, you know, mm. are you going to go for it? And I think that sometimes you, you have to be honest to the people, to your characters, and, you know, Jordan is, is not the type of character that wouldn't be overt, you know, and so it would, wouldn't feel right to not include the things that he does, because that's who he is as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's important for the story. Like, mm. the other thing is that I'm not including these things because I want to be uh, grotesque or or be like rubbing people's face in how horrible this part of history was or saying, look, these terrible things are happening all over the world and you must pay attention to them. It's important for the narrative that uh, the reader understands where Flora is coming from because it's so connected to her gift to the knowing like her gift is directly connected to her trauma and her inability to express that pain so I think that's the the important thing when weighing up how much to put in how to much put out I always ask myself like what what's needed what's needed Mm. for the book what's needed for the narrative what's needed for me to tell the the best version of this story and the story that I want to tell so yeah it's not it's not needless like you say and it's true to the characters and it's true to the story and on the knowing I have a quote from the book which I highlighted quite early on because I thought it sort of articulates 
this supernatural kind of power that Flora has. I thought it articulated perfectly. So I'm just going to read your own book back to you, Emma Hines. I hope that's okay. I will try to be okay with it, yeah. Okay. (laughs) As a child, scathing boys used to beat me whenever I spoke of ghosts. I'd learned to turn my eyes away from dark corners where spirits might lurk. The knowing was like having a broken bone that never healed quite right. It twinged. Occasionally the world would slow and the shadows would lengthen. My breath would catch in my windpipe and my heart would lurch, but I would look away. Growing up in Five Points had knocked the truth into me. There was safety in not knowing. Now, I love that. The knowing was like having a broken bone that never healed quite right. Mm. Chef's kiss. Thank you. Why, thank Um, you. (laughs) Obviously, the, the title of the book is The Knowing. I am hmm. very proud of myself for, for noticing that. Um, <laughs> but why was it important for Flora's character specifically to have the knowing? It's funny, isn't it? Because some sometimes people ask questions like, why this, why that? And there comes a point when it just boils down to like, this was the story as it came into my head, mm-hmm. you know? It was, it was a story that arrived about a girl and what made me want to tell the story about the girl while the girl could talk to ghosts, right? So it has to start somewhere. So it always kind of, it started with her her gift and her ability and kind of grew from there. Because as a writer, you have like seeds of ideas that kind of flow, that drift into your head all the time. And some of them take root and some of them don't. And the ones that take root is because there's something interesting that you want to write about that you're interested on and that was it for me is this idea of being able to talk to ghosts and being being able to communicate with the dead and being having this mystical uh strange power and then as I started to write I realized how much it was connected to her and her trauma and what everything that she'd gone through was making this this power inside of her I think as well just from knowing you that there are so many different things that are kind of like inextricably linked. So you've so often spoken to me about how it has felt for you being a queer person in church spaces and Mm -hmm. how your relationship with God has changed over time and like how your kind of, yeah, spiritual connection to God has changed over time. And, um, you know, I know that you're also so fascinated and you love reading books and research about like witches and how women were treated mm-hmm. way back when and I think all of these things are kind of linked um in the sense of you know spirituality and and faith and and women and all these different things and how these things are all kind of like linked I just think is so interesting and because I obviously have known you for so long and have heard about you know your own experiences I just think that it's so evidently you that's coming through in these words if that makes any sense whatsoever yeah I think sorry I think this I think Hannah's trying to say (laughs) that you have a very unique voice Ah, and I think it comes through completely and I think it is it is very much solely it could have, this story could have only have come from you. Yeah, I think there's something about the first book where it's kind of it's almost accumulation of everything that you've been you've been up to that point and then you write it and you look back on it and you think I'm so different now. I'm such a different person and then you write the next one and so it's it is strange because uh the knowing in a way kind of represents everything that I was at that point when I was writing it not necessarily everything I am right now and so it is strange to be doing like the PR and and doing all of the promotion for this book in a sense of a, a book a book from a past self in a in a strange in a strange way and there's something lovely about it because it's it's honoring a part of my life that when I was writing it was as was not without its trauma its trauma and I think a lot of like what I was working through in terms of my my own like PTSD and things like that is in the knowing and so in a way it's nice to have something that uh honors that time in a strange way hopefully in a positive way for the future yeah yeah absolutely I I do feel like there's a there's there's a positivity in the book and one of the one of the elements of the book that I, I I really loved that you explored and you've touched on it a little bit before was um was the kind of um 
characters who were were labeled as like freaks or what we see mm. in as history would tell us were kind of these people who had physical differences that were kind of then labeled as like uh, these these you know characters that would then be put on display and people would pay to go and see them mm. you know Barnum circus and things like that what made you want to explore those type of acts specifically and how hard was it to do with sensitivity because obviously we we would look at that now in a completely different light to what you know a Victorian crowd would I don't think the sensitivity of it wasn't hard at all because uh, I have a chronic illness and I have a disabled partner so I I know what what or how I want to be seen in a hundred years or 200 years and so that kind of that helps in terms of sort of like looking at the characters and the research um they're just such interesting people to look back on and so many of them were like really awfully taken advantage of by by people who ran these shows and and these things which was why it's important to me to have Minnie be a character who is disabled and has been part of the circus world her whole life but is now running a circus or running mm-hmm. a show mm-hmm. which makes money off people like her so I wanted that this this conflict of she is a person who deserves to have control over her own life and to be seen as a whole person and a real person but she's kind of doing it by taking advantage of people like her um, and I wanted to have that conflict because I think it's important that when we look back on people um, and when we look back in history we don't like make everybody neat and shiny you know mm. like just because somebody is disabled doesn't mean that they were like a super nice person I wanted I expect that kind of roundedness in representations of like my my condition and representations of other conditions so I wanted it for for them too absolutely now I think it's important that we mention your illustrations in the book mm. which I say your illustrations but not they are not yeah. what you illustrated they are what uh your friend yeah. Maya illustrated yeah yeah so so um, let's talk about Maya yeah uh well Maya is a friend of mine who I met through fanfic uh we're both part of the same fanfic community and they uh illustrate a fanfic that I am that I have created uh which is accidentally over a million words long don't ask me how it happened (laughs) um and so we have this uh this online collaboration and when I was coming towards maybe my second draft of the knowing somebody was like well my friend Sam actually said it would be really cool if the tattoos were like visually represented in the book and then so I started like doodling and getting some mock kind of designs up and then over the course of my friendship with Maya I said to them I said which how do you feel about uh, rendering these for me I have some some rough ones they're not great and Maya just took them and ran, ran with them and they they're amazing. I love them mm. so much. I might actually get one eventually, depending on how the book does. Um, <laughs> I might get get one done eventually uh, if I can find a spot that I like it. But yeah, they're they're amazing, and we talked a lot about making sure that they really represented the traditional American style of the time, mm-hmm. and um, they're they're so beautiful and they suit the book so well. And um, Maya and I are continuing to collaborate and Myra is actually in the UK at the moment and we'll be doing live drawing at our launch event um, which is really really exciting yeah very exciting and I also I just loved that they were these illustrations are at the top of am I allowed to say that it's not a spoiler is it the fact that they're no, at the they're, top they're of each the chapter, chapter headers basically chapter headers yeah. yes yeah. and I think that makes it a which is like a more immersive reading experience. Would it, would mm. you say that? I just think it made it even more enjoyable for me. Um, mm. Like I love visuals and that was just like a really nice touch. And yeah. the, the illustrations are beautiful and I, I know how happy you are with them. Yeah, So this is a fun question. Did you have a favorite? Because I'm doing a little survey to find out what mm. everybody's favorite was. Did I have a, a favorite? I loved the um, the knife, the pocket knife. The pocket knife. Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's cool. I really, yeah, like, I really like that one as well. <laughs> it's the one that I always think of when we talk about illustrations. It's usually one that people tend to have at the front of their mind when we talk about illustrations. And it's always funny to see which one. So far, like the favorite that has come out on top has been the crane. Um, oh, really? The bird, which was... Um, 
This not one. The, uh, no. No, not the skeleton bird. That I love that one. The, the yeah, crane. I do love that one. But yeah, it, it's always funny to see like which ones are people's favorites. Um, we've actually we're gonna have the one that you were talking about there, Hannah. The the winged skeleton bird. We've got stickers of that which are being given out <gasps> at the um the launch event next week. So very excited. Very exciting, and I love the face and the flower. Oh, oh see, that's sweet. Not many people have have said that one, so that's gorgeous, really nice that you like that gorgeous. one. That's that's but, an original Maya Soracho design. I loved a lot of them, so it was really hard to think of a favorite just then. But I do know that I really liked yeah. the, fa- the face my and the flower. Favorite, my favorites have changed over time. It's really funny. It changes mm. with the book. For a long time, the winged bird was my favorite. Uh, then a fire, for a while, the oyster was my favorite. This is why it's so hard to choose if I'm going to get one tattooed on my body. I have to I have like, a favorite. This, this, is the, this is my problem because I would be obsessed. I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to get the pocket knife 100%. And then like a week later, I'd be like, I want the face and the flower. Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. love it. I'll have all of them. All yeah, of them. I'm, I'm very judicious with my tattoos. I have to like really feel like good about them deep in, in mm-hmm. deep for, for a long, like I know I'll feel good about them for a long time. And I generally choose things that aren't uh, very connected to like a time or a place. So then they can grow and age with me. Whereas these are like connected to this book. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, we'll have to see. I think I need to give it some time and let it grow a little bit first. But they're going to be, they're going to be special regardless because it's tattoos that, or illustrations that have been illustrated by a friend that you've worked with for a long time that are the illustrations that are also in your debut novel like there's no way that like you're going to pick a wrong one you've got to pick that's the right the thing picking the right one that's the hard thing <laughs> so finally because I've, I've, I'm, I'm looking at the time and I'm seeing that with Capture. But finally, I would love to ask you a question that I ask a lot of people, but um, particularly because I'm most interested in what your kind of take of this is. And that's, you have a, a really gorgeous Gothic quality to your writing. What are your literary influences? Um, Who kind of springs to mind? Yeah. Uh, so my like my earliest literary so when I was writing as a teenager is things like the Brontes. So mm-hmm. the the classic Gothic, uh, Wuthering Heights, Jane Eyre, and then Mary Shelley, Frankenstein, and Angela Carter, The Bloody Chamber, uh, Wise Children. That was all kind of like my teenagers. And then moving into kind of Toni Morrison, Beloved. And then moving up to, like moving on to Sarah Waters, gothic queer some pat barker and um yeah now i love i love to read gothic and and horror novels um kirsty logan uh julia armfield who we all love on this podcast yeah we love julia, we love julia. <laughs> yeah so i think it's something that i always love to read and i'm starting to come back to read more now because for a while while i was deep in this book uh mm. it's it was really hard to read around that if that makes sense. Uh, some, when I'm writing something, it's hard to read things that are, are very, very similar uh, mm-hmm. because you worry a little bit too much about the bleed of voice. So I tend to things read things that are very far apart from what I'm writing. So it's nice now that I'm no longer writing this particular Gothic Victorian mm-hmm. thing that I can swing back into like more gothic stuff so yeah it's fun i'm also very proud of the fact that i've got you reading so many contemporary yeah. so much contemporary fiction because for so long you've just been attached to your historical goods yeah well and... i think yeah for a long time i was reading so much historical fiction and part of that was like preparation and research for this book and also when you're not writing all the time if it's not like a full-time gig yet and you're still working a day job and and writing other bits and doing things sometimes writing reading certain books can kind of help you stay in the world a little bit more Mm -hmm. but now I I don't necessarily need that because writing is my nine to five so reading can be a little bit more of like a, a wander and a journey to other lands and other places and exploring different vibes in different times and and yeah I still love to read historical fiction but I've also had so much fun with Hannah's Hannah's recommendations have always been great yeah thank you thank you now I am obviously so excited for other people to experience your work 
and the world of the knowing. I'm very, very excited to hear what people think. And um, already we're seeing so much about it. You are what? Heat Magazine's Book of the Week? Month? Book of the Month? Uh, the Book of the Book of the Week. Book of the Week. Of the Sorry. Week. Okay, fine. Good. Yeah. Uh, you were also <laughs> reviewed in the Sunday Times this weekend. Yes. Um, Best historical fiction for 2024. And... You've been popping up left, right, and center. You were also in Red Magazine. It's yes. it's all happening. Very, very exciting. But the most yeah. important thing that our listeners can get involved in is they can actually attend your book launch. They can, yes. Uh, Thursday, the 18th of January at Queer Lit, 7 o'clock. In Manchester. In Manchester, yeah. Queer Lit is such an amazing space. I absolutely love it. It's they've been so also I have to say like they've been so incredible so Mm -hmm. in the time that they've been working and and being a bookstore in Manchester I sort of went we went in I think Hannah when they had first opened or they they'd recently opened and I I had said oh I'm writing a book and they were so kind and they were like yeah well you know if you ever decide to self-publish or you get published let us know let us know and then basically from then on whenever I had an update in my <laughs> publishing journey I would go into Queer Lit and say oh this has happened and this has happened and this has happened um and they were always cheering me on and so excited. And yeah, so it feels really special and really right that we're not only going to be doing my book launch, but we're also, they've got this new wonderful space um, called Social Refuge, Queer Lit Bookshop at Social Refuge in Manchester, which is just amazing for events. And they've they've started their events calendar for 2024 and I'm so happy to be part of it. So it feels really right that it's mm-hmm. like their new space and and we get to talk about my book and the event is going to be so much fun there's going to be a tarot card reader there yes i know so excited and um maya is going to be there they're going to be doing some live drawing whilst i am talking and there will be books and there will be so many cool people to talk to and i think it's going to be a really fun night Mm -hmm. and tickets are only five pounds and they're available from uh queerlit's website and um on eventbrite so if you just Put into Eventbrite, Queer Lit, Emma Hines, The Knowing. It will pop out the event or you can look on their Instagram or on my Instagram. And um, yeah, it'd be so much fun to see people there. I'm really, really excited. I've even got an outfit. Yes. (laughs) You've got a gorgeous dress, which I'm very excited to see. I've got an outfit. I've got an an outfit. outfit. I'm actually embarrassed to say how much of my mental function has gone into putting together (laughs) this outfit. I think it had to be that way. It's It's like... All of my nervous energy about the book coming out just went straight, just just into into the the outfit. Yeah, it was like, (laughs) the outfit must be right. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be really good. And some wonderful people are coming up from Bedford Square um, in London, my amazing publishing house. So yeah, it's going to be a really fun night. It's going to be a really fun night. It's going to be so exciting. Emma Hines, thank you for returning. I just love saying the full name. It's so fun. Emma Hines. Emma Hines, thank you so much for returning to a pair of bookends. Before you leave us, please, can you give us some recommendations? Yep. I'm cheating ever so slightly here because I'm using my recommendations from 2023. Unbelievable. Which is like, I I did my roundup for the year, prompted by Hannah MacDonald, who basically on the 1st of January when um, you've not done your roundup of books for the year. I'm waiting for it. And I was like, oh God, I must do it. Uh, Give the people but... what they want. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I've got, I have them in like genre things. Excellent. Uh, so my favorite historical fiction, Lauren Groff, The Matrix, Mystical, <laughs> Lesbian Nuns, got to be done. Favorite contemporary fiction of last year, Small Worlds, uh, by Caleb Azuma Nelson, which Hannah and I'm sure you're both all over this. You must have been over this. Haven't read it yet, but I told no. you to read Open Water. Uh, yeah, Lydia, you will love it. You will, oh. you will absolutely love it. It's amazing. Right. Uh, favorite horror fiction, Things Have Gotten Worse Since Last We Spoke by Eric LaRocca, which is three shortish stories um, in one book, really, really disgusting, but amazing. Yeah, uh, they're like favorite... grotesque. It's brilliant. They are so <laughs> grotesque. Uh, favorite translated fiction, Strange Weather in Tokyo by Hiromi Kawakami, uh, translated by Alison Markin Powell, which is just beautiful, beautiful writing. Um, and, and 
an epic example of like Japanese fiction uh, done so beautifully. Uh, favorite fantasy fiction, Morgan is my name by Sophie Keach, who happens to be my friend. <laughs> Sophie is my buddy and um, Morgan is my name is the first in a trilogy of an epic um, retelling of the Morgan Le Fay myth. So if you were there for Cersei by Madeline Miller, if you were there for all of the other uh, myth retellings you need to be there for this british myth retelling of morgan is my name it's it's really good and it's the first in a series so you know what's not to love about that what else is on my list and emma uh, favorite whoa 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 you're not getting away with that emma yeah. uh in waterstones the other day <laughs> changed round books so that morgan is my name was facing out because <laughs> she was not yeah, happy. i do that for all my friends i do that for all my friends uh Favorite short fiction, Hex by Rebecca Dernestein Knight. Um, as probably my favorite read of the year. It's really small and it just packs an absolute wallop and it's very uncanny. And um, the main character is supremely unlikable. And actually, Lydia, if you liked Saltburn, this is like better. But oh, you fab. Know, it's so good. <laughs> um, this is what Saltburn could have been. Yeah. Uh, favorite nonfiction, uh, a memoir of my former self by Hilary Mantel, which obviously meant a lot to me, um, having lost Hilary. But yes, it was it's beautiful and lovely. For anyone who for anyone who is missing Hilary as I am missing, then it is a beautiful way to to hear her voice again. Those are so many beautiful recommendations, Emma. Thank you so much. And uh, where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, if you want to find me on social media, I, of course mean, they I don't do. blame you if you don't want to. Um, I'm Elf Reads on uh, Instagram, E-L-P-H Reads. Uh, I can't remember my Twitter handle. You Sorry. are at Emma Louise PH, I think. But I will Thank link you. those in the show notes. Thank you. I will, yeah. I'm your personal PR pocket person <laughs> i'm really bad at like i can do instagram i'm i'm on it i'm on instagram but i find i'm really bad at twitter or x or whatever twitter's chaos no um let's yeah. not do that but <laughs> for everyone please go pre-order your copy of the knowing you can get signed copies from queer lit which i will be mm -hmm. linking in the show notes uh they can also get signed copies from the queer london bookshop that i can't remember the name yes. of uh from common press common press excellent and you can order press. other copy you can order a, a general copy from the of the knowing from any other bookshop but yeah why would you yeah. not want a signed copy why would you not? Yeah, exactly. Um, and if you come to the event, you can get one signed in person. Yay! Do that. I will. I'll even a write link. a nice message on it. That's very kind. I will pop a link to tickets for your launch in the show notes. The 18th of January at Quillet in Manchester. Please mm -hmm. go give Emma a follow. Please go order a book ASAP Rocky and <laughs> read it and let us know what you think. You can uh, tag us well tag emma in your reviews but please tag us if you enjoyed this episode uh you yeah. can find us at a pair of bookends pod on instagram and at a pair of bookends on twitter and tiktok and as always if you enjoy the episodes please don't forget to rate review and subscribe as it helps to boost us in the charts so more of you can find us please thank you so much for listening and happy new year everybody happy new year, happy new year. thank you emma 